Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to August's Outside the Box. I say the same thing every month, which is that we'll probably be short this month because we haven't had a lot of time to watch stuff and then we just talk for an hour. (laughs) But maybe we can try and keep it slightly tighter because we can now go outside and also there's been a lot of sport on. We genuinely haven't watched that much stuff. And by we, I mean Jen. Hello. And Mickey. Jiggity jiggity. No. 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 My favourite intro of the month. Did you Jen. plan that? Do you plan them in advance or no, do they just come no, to you? I mean, that genius, Jen, just came off the cuff. <laughs> she really is genius. How does she How does she do it? She lies away at night. Lies away at uh, Fuck it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a couple of things to say. Ghost is back. Hooray. Got an interview with Martha Howe Douglas that you can listen to, but I think everybody's pretty sure of our feelings on ghosts. So I will just mention that it's back to say that we're excited. The BBC sent me three episodes, which I listened to. And then after I did the interview Did you with watch Martha, them rather than listen to? Sorry, which I watched, yes. And then after I did the interview with Martha Howe Douglas, they sent me episode four, which is actually her episode, which was quite frustrating. And it is very, very funny. So, yes, Ghost is back. Also, coming back on this coming Monday on the BBC, Ladhood Season two, which is Liam Williams' sitcom ah. about growing up in the mid-90s or the early 90s. I'm not sure. He's about your age, Jen. So whenever you grew up. Mid-90s, I'd about. say. I watched the first episode. I don't find it hilarious, but I do find it quite charming. Yeah, I liked it a lot, the first series. And it's got a lot of just early 90 references that just make me smile mm-hmm. there's a bit where they go out chatting up girls talking about human traffic which you maybe <laughs> human traffic featuring daddy dyer indeed so yeah that's coming back on monday i watched something on netflix called chernobyl 86 which is a russian film about chernobyl and only because i was really curious about we've seen what the americans did with chernobyl i was curious about what the Russians, it's actually a film, not a television series, but anyway, I'm mentioning it here, what the Russians would do with Chernobyl. And the really ironic thing is the whole thing that we kept saying about the HBO version of Chernobyl was that it felt really Russian. And the weird thing is the Russian version of Chernobyl feels really American. It's made like a disaster flick. Ah. I didn't get the whole way through it because I just thought, oh my God, this is dreadful and almost feels quite disrespectful for the huge amount of people who died. At one point, the guy who's the lead character... Like, not only is he, like, a fireman, but then he later volunteers to be one of the divers. And, of course, we know now that that's not true. Is, so. it, is he played by Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> He's played by whatever Russia's version of Sylvester Stallone is, okay. I think. Yeah, but that's there if you fancy a, a giggle. Um, anyway. <laughs> a, a laugh at a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but we have got some stuff to get through. We have seen, all of us have seen some of I Am. This Way Up is back. I have been watching something totally bonkers on BritBox called Lambs of God, which I want to talk about. Jen, you've seen the new Amy Winehouse documentary, I am have. I right? Yeah. Yep. And Mickey, you sent me an email this morning telling me you watched something else, and I've already forgotten what it was. It's called Cruel Summer, and, you know, maybe you shouldn't have forgotten what it already was. Do you want to start there, then? Okay. Okay, so I was sucked in by Twitter. We've all been there. This Amazon Prime 10-parter kept popping up on the sidebar as a must-watch, and to be fair, I must-watched it in just three days. 
So Cruel Summer is a she said, she said story and gets immediate bonus points for no dead or naked or dead and naked teenage girls. Yes, mate, it is possible. It's set over three summers, 1993, 1994 and 1995. And they are delineated with different hairdos, makeup and film tints and colour palettes because it bounces between them. A bit like The Serpent, but not as confusing. We're in small town Texas with geek girl Jeanette Turner, played by Chiara Aurelia, and her pals Vincent, alias Barnes, and Mallory, Harley Quinn Smith. And to be fair, she is the only duff note for me. Just wasn't, just wasn't on board with her acting. Kevin Smith's kid. Do you know who she is? Uh, Kevin Smith of... of the film director. Yeah. yeah. Jay and Silent Bob. No, I've never heard of her. No, me neither. Well... Yeah, I'm not going to say the word nepotism, (laughs) but I'm going to say the word nepotism. Anyway, Jeanette is bored of the childish goofery and longs to be more like Kate Wallace, played by Olivia Holt, a sweet rather than mean teen queen. And then Kate disappears. Cut to 1994 and Jeanette is the popular girl, hanging out with Kate's pals and dating Kate's boyfriend, Jamie. Kate, well, she's missing, presumed Ted. Presumed Ted. Yeah, she's presumed to be Ted. (laughs) She's presumed to be my rat. She's missing, presumed dead. Until she turns up alive, claiming that Jeanette knew where she was being held all along and did nothing to help. Jump to 1995 and Jeanette is now America's most hated girl and Kate's got plot holes in her memory. So what really happened? Oh, and that's how it unfolds. Does it reinvent the wheel of teen drums? No, but it is clever. It's dark, it's fun, it's twisted, it's creepy, it keeps you on your toes, the performances are great, and there are some lovely little 90s throwbacks, a bit like Hannah was referring to earlier with Ladhood. My favourite being when one character tells another to take a chill pill. Remember that? (laughs) (laughs) It also tackles some pretty hefty topics, domestic violence, gaslighting, grooming, trauma, PTSD and the shifting sands of memory and it does it with skill. So, well done Cruel Summer. I will be back for season two. Great. I might watch that. It's good. It's good. I enjoyed it. It's good. I liked it. I think it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was just looking at my list and I was thinking, oh, we should put some other women heavy stuff in. But actually, all our stuff this month is really woman heavy. Yeah. Hooray. It's almost like we were set up to talk about women. Let's keep centering women. I was going to call you lads then and do everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in that case, maybe we'll go with the thing that we've all watched, which is I Am, or we've all watched some of. Series 2, written and directed by Dominic Savage, with the collaboration of each of the main characters involved in each of them. Three episodes, I Am Victoria, which stars Saran Jones. I am Danielle, which stars Letitia Wright, and I am Maria, which stars Leslie Manville. Now, I'm going to start with those last two and say that the Leslie Manville one, I watched about 20 minutes of, and no offence to Leslie Manville. In fact, it's probably a credit to Leslie Manville that I found it absolutely unwatchable because it's so, it's about a woman in her 60s. Who on her well, a woman who on her sixtieth birthday starts to sort of assess what's happened to her life, and I found the passive aggression of it, like I say, unwatchable. It gave me a bellyache. It was like being in the middle of the most uncomfortable rows, or some of the most uncomfortable rows you've seen your friends or your parents Mm. or whoever have at a dinner table that isn't really a row. So I stopped watching it because it wasn't for me, but that isn't because it wasn't good. They are all really intense, though. I'm sure Mm. you're going to talk about that, but they're not easy watching. 
the second one, which is I Am Danielle, starring Letitia Wright. I watched the whole way through and I have to say, I thought it was a bit of a shit show. I thought it was narratively a bit of a shit show. And I thought it was politically a bit of a shit show. And again, this is nothing to do with Letitia Wright, who I thought was very good in it. It doesn't help that it's largely a story about a woman who falls in love with someone and then discovers something about them. The first act, the falling in love, takes up about three quarters of it, which is way too long and boring as fuck for somebody like me. (laughs) Utterly dull as fuck. And the revelation is therefore dealt with way, way, way too quickly, which is the thing that I think would have been more interesting. So I haven't got a great deal to say about that that's positive. But I am Victoria, which is the one that sent Twitter a bit wild when it aired, starring Saran Jones. I thought it was absolutely fucking cracking. Really hard to watch. Made me a bit itchy in parts. The plot, Victoria, played by Saran Jones, is a a mother, a businesswoman. She appears to be a property developer who is increasingly falling apart is all I can really word it as. I've read a couple of reviews of it, all of whom reach the conclusion that this is about a woman falling apart because of the pressures of running a house and running a business and all of that. That's not actually what I saw in it. I saw something totally different. Still good, but totally different. So perhaps we could talk about that a little bit. But I thought Saran Jones was excellent. I thought Ashley Walters was excellent, who plays her husband. And her sister, who turns up really briefly in it in quite a crucial role, I thought was really good. And I can't remember her name, so apologies to that actress. But what you guys don't know listening is I just had a massive Wi-Fi fuck up for about 20 minutes, which wasn't helpful. Yeah, the way I read it, and the only way I can say this is, you know, Mickey, you know that scene in Deadwood where Francis Walcott runs amok in the brothel? Yes, yes. And Carrie, the young prostitute, is asking him to let her go. And he says, I can't let you go because you've seen me. And she says, I won't tell anyone that I've seen you. And he says, that's not what I mean by you've seen me. And I feel like there's something in this. What I saw in it is about a woman who has spent a lot of time trying to repress who she thinks the real her is. Yes. And the stress is causing the real her to come out. And the terror of being seen as a fraud or I would actually say probably what her background is suggested to be, which is quite complicated working class and has now moved up, you know, into the middle classes and she just doesn't want to be seen and she becomes really fixated. She's a perfectionist. The interesting thing is she's not especially likable and yet you can still feel for her, I think. She's like an unfunny hyacinth bouquet. Yeah. She's trying to keep up appearances, right? These Mm. appearances, these standards that she's set for herself and she's trying to keep them up. And I agree with you. I think it's got something to do with her family who I think her sister's appearance quite grasping when she just goes, you know, mum always told you to share. And it's like, okay, but when does that end? When does Mm. that not mean that you don't turn up at my house demanding money from me that you don't have to pay back? There's a pressure of that. And the other thing I'd add to it is I thought she was possibly perimenopausal because she kept going, Mm. it's really hot. It's really hot. I'm really hot. Yeah. But she continually says, don't look at me. Don't look at me throughout it. Don't look at me. Don't watch me. Like she's so concerned about being, like I say, being seen. I mean, she practices what she's going to say in the mirror before she sees people. It's heartbreaking. 
It really is. And then maybe we all watch it and come to different conclusions. But nonetheless, I still thought it was really good. Jen? Yeah, I think she... I, I think sort of... I feel it was somewhere in between all of those things. It just felt like a woman who was trying really hard. Not necessarily like the pressures of, <clears throat> you know, being a mother, the pressures of being like... There's definitely more to it than the everyday pressures combining. It felt like she's very much trying to hold something in to repress something like for sure i agree i thought saran james was brilliant but i I think she's very good in general and i thought ashley walters was really good he's really like a lot of the stuff that i've seen him in recently he's like a bit more of a i don't know like i guess a, a louder character for want of better words and he's quite sort of understated and i thought he did that really well it was a good reminder of like what he can actually do i found it quite uncomfortable to watch um, mm. it's not an easy watch for sure I don't know if I would rush to watch the other ones just because I did find it like quite hard to watch and I know that, that I can probably expect that from the other ones as well that's not because they're you know that's not because they're not good it's just because I don't know I guess like my current frame of mind I'm not like mad keen on watching confrontational or <laughs> difficult things <laughs> yeah it's kind of, it's telly that you need sort of a different telly to decompress yeah. with afterwards she is great how she manages to keep that intensity because it is from scene one she is twitchy and edgy and you're like where's she gonna go and she manages to ramp it up ramp it up till that explosion i would also add that as someone who has suffered with depression on and off from when i was really little there's also the thing that it could just come out of nowhere that a breakdown doesn't have to be caused by lots of lots of different things. They may be muttering about in the background or even pressing up in the foreground, but it doesn't mean that they are the cause. So I quite liked that it didn't specifically point out or point to a thing that had made her mm. this way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. It's interesting, isn't it, though, that it's a, a series about women written by a man. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think we said this last time, didn't we, that it was odd that that had... And I think this is the second series, isn't it? Yeah. I think he sees women very well and depicts women very well. He doesn't rose tint it or stereotype us in a way that we've been pigeonholed forever. I Am Kirsty, which is the Samantha Morton one, remains by far, I think, I mean, it's incredible. I was going to say my favourite, but it's one of those things that it's so uncomfortable yeah. that favourite feels the wrong word. But that is an incredible piece of television. OK, staying with Channel 4 and talking of favourites, This Way Up returned. If you listen to our adverts, you will know that. I've watched about four. Maybe I watched five. I haven't seen the last one. Mickey has. So, Mickey, do you want to tell us a little bit about Ashling B's Series 2? Yeah, Ashling B and Sharon Horgan are back as Anya and Shona for Series, Season, Series, season, what what is it? Season 2? Season series. 2. <laughs> series 2 of B's warm, funny, utterly charming and occasionally devastating comedy drama. Dramedy, I think they're called. Sadcom, I think I've heard them called as well, which Sharon Horgan is very, very good at. Uh, it's about sisterhood and mental health. The script is terrific. The storyline, which I'm not going to spoil her by trying to explain what happens because I think it's so subtle and so real that anything that you say about it could be a spoiler. And it's so believable. Even the slightly more peripheral characters of Onye's boyfriend, Richard, played by Tobias Menzies, 
her flatmate Bradley, Kadip Kuan, and her boss James Eco Corti, and also Shona's fiance Vish, Asif Manvi, and her business partner Charlotte Indira Varma, are all outstanding and given decent storylines to work with themselves. But for me, it is B and Horgan that make this way up an extra special series. Their chemistry is just a joy to behold. Anya and Shona's unconditional love for each other is like, it's it's brutal, man. And that means that for all the mucking about in saunas and the bodrum beating and declarations of big love for each other, they don't always understand each other as much as they want to. And it sometimes gets hard. And it's just that perfect depiction of sisterhood, of siblinghood. It, it feels really real. All of the characters feel really real. And the slide that happens quite often from laughing out loud to serious feel very real too. Is We're all just stumbling through life trying to make sense of our heads. And I really, really love that. I love that it just feels like so natural and so real and so believable. I think as well, it steers away from sort of traditional sitcom writing mm. so it's not so much that it is the topic that's sad as much as the style of writing is actually more dramatic she lays out a couple of things that you know we're all going to tie together at the end and not in a neat way but you know here's a thread that's running here's a thread that's running with Richard here's a thread that's running with yeah. a flatmate and Sharon Horgan also gets threads and you you know they tie together quite Nicely, So I think it's written in a quite sort of dramatic way. Like, for example, there's a misunderstanding at an event that she's at with her boyfriend. And it's resolved relatively quickly because that's actually what happens generally in life rather than it. That in itself becomes in a lot of sitcoms becomes the, the the A plot. Whereas this isn't even the F plot. It's just a thing that's going on in the background that she misunderstands his relationship with this other woman at this party that they're at. Exactly that. And I think it's, you know, you know when you're watching something and something massive happens, this big drama and this big misunderstanding, and you're going, just ask him. Just, just yeah. ask him. She, she asks them. She puts that yeah. in there. She does what we would do. And that, that I feel like saying it's really real and naturalistic and it belies how like skillful her writing is. She It's just full of little one-liners. I, I'd like to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again to pick up on stuff I'm sure I've missed. Because those throw... Just when, she, when Shona says, and it's in the first episode, and Shona just goes, I'm thinking of getting a fringe. And Anya goes, oh my God, are you okay? Because there's like a woman yeah. cutting into her hair is seen as like... She sees it as a sign that her sister's having some sort of breakdown. And I couldn't keep the laughter out of my voice there because it, it just pure tickles me that, that that is the stuff that you pick up on when it's someone that you know inside out and care about. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's got some lovely other performances. In it. I mean, it's got a really, really sort of good, like really solid cast. I mean, Lorraine Ashbourne is Tobias Menzies' character's cleaner in it and virtually not in it, but yet turns up. And steals five minutes yes. and then goes off again because yeah. I love Lorraine Ashbourne. Ricky Grover, who was spot on in the last series, is also spot on in his performance in this series. I just think it's really, really well written and well done. And it feels really warm in a way that isn't forced. Agreed. Agreed. And I yeah. think that's its key, isn't it? It doesn't ever feel forced. I want to be friends with everyone in it. 
it makes me laugh that Tobias Menzies is basically um, Britain's John Hamm. And what I mean by that is all comedians get to have a go on him eventually. <laughs> <laughs> He's dishy. He's a dishy man. Let's have a break on that note and we'll be back in a minute. Was that a minute? I don't know. Let's say it was a minute. I hope they don't put too many adverts in. <laughs> Welcome back 20 minutes later to part two of Outside the Box. Jen, Hannah, tell us about the Amy Winehouse documentary, please. Okay. It was out on the BBC a couple of weeks ago, so you'd be able to watch it on iPlayer. It's called Reclaiming Amy, and it is it basically coincides with the very tragic 10-year anniversary of the death of Amy Winehouse. Uh, he died, as we all know, at the age of 27, and it was as a result of um, it was alcohol poisoning, basically. She had lots of addiction issues, as we all know, so I don't want to go on about that too much. Um, the point of the documentary, basically, it's been made by her family and uh, a small group of very close friends, and as the name would suggest, it is about reclaiming the Amy Winehouse that they knew, except... I don't think that's exactly what it's about. I don't want to be an asshole about it because, you know, obviously your heart can't not go out to her family and friends because it is a terrible, terrible thing that's happened. But it's narrated by her mum, Janice, who sort of off the bat says basically, you know, the Amy they knew is not the Amy that we saw reflected in the press. I think anyone with, you know, a couple of brain cells could probably figure that out there's more I to don't know have you been on twitter recently Jen? well yeah no i know but it's a kind of like i can understand their reasons for doing it there was a documentary in 2015 called amy by i think it's called as if kapadia which i believe won an oscar in fact it was quite a famous one the mitch winehouse her dad particularly did not come out of it looking great basically janice sort of says off the bat in the first couple of, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, is that they felt quite wronged by the documentary and they wanted to put their side of the story across. I don't actually think it is about reclaiming Amy. I think it's about trying to make themselves look better. And I can Damage totally... Limitation. I can mm. totally, totally, totally understand why they would want to do that. I, you know, a lot has been said about Mitch Winehouse particularly and it's very obvious from the documentary that he's absolutely broken by what's happened. He's broken by the allegations that have been made against him. It's impossible not to watch it and have some sympathy for him. And if I'm honest, more sympathy than I had previously had. Mm -hmm. But you can't not have sympathy for them anyway. Do you know what I mean? You can't not have sympathy for these people who've lost their child in such tragic, tragic circumstances. I think the, the point they really want to drive home is that she had mental health problems and that if this had happened now, probably the press wouldn't necessarily have handled it the same way. Probably the rhetoric around it, the narrative would have been kinder. I sort of agree with that. And then I also just think is it, people are yeah. wankers. So is it pre not. the Leveson inquiry? Two, uh, 2011. I don't know when the Leveson was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's probably it's probably around the same time. But um, but I think like. I just thought a lot of it is quite... They, you know, they reveal some stuff that we didn't know about her, like she was in a relationship with a woman for a while. I didn't really see the point of that sort of line of, like, oh, she was a different person. To, I kind of feel that they maybe implied that 
she was a bit uncomfortable about that and that possibly sort of, for want of better words, haunted her a little bit in terms of her mental health. And that, again, maybe the narrative, like maybe she would have been more comfortable to be who she actually was now, 10 years later, whatever. I, I think all of these are points, you know, arguably, yeah, maybe, who knows. Um, of course she had mental health problems. It's very obvious she had mental health problems, I would say. I don't think people don't think that she had mental health problems. The point that they really wanted to make explicitly and do make explicitly is that it wasn't because she had an unhappy childhood. And I don't see the point of making that documentary. I understand why they want to make the point. I understand why they want to say that. And I really, really, really do feel for them enormously. But for me, as a documentary... I felt like I was intruding on their private grief, to be honest. I didn't I, I didn't get much out of it. It's interesting, isn't it? So a point is the Leveson happened July 2011 and also the summer of 2012, so exactly around the same time that she died. So mm. she wouldn't have... Would she have influenced it? Would, would she have come up, do you think, maybe? I don't know. Maybe she did. I did watch quite a lot of it but I had a full-time office job at that point so um I also had to pretend to be working <laughs> I think the difference is that it wasn't seen as an intrusion on her privacy particularly in the way it was like with Coogan where they were going through his bin mm. or Hugh Grant where they were tapping his phone it was an intrusion on her privacy in that that was a lot of I think she was unfortunate in a lot of people told stories about her yeah yeah, in that sense, but they were yeah, I mean, it's proper. interesting, isn't it? Because coming from the the life experience that I have, I feel like there is some element of of when any anybody dies of an addiction is that people go, well, why didn't somebody do anything about it? A, you can't do something about it, and B, even when you do do something about it, it doesn't always work. So yeah, and that's interesting because. What Jen was saying about this documentary seemingly just wanting to show that she had a happy childhood and that, you know, drum home that she had addiction problems and mental health problems that like almost counters itself because you can have the happiest childhood in the world and you're mm. still not immune to having mental health or addiction issues. Mm. I think that is, I think they were trying to say that. I think that is something they were trying to suggest. Um, I just, it, it just felt to me like it was coming from the wrong place rather than out of a genuine concern for people understanding mental health and addiction problems better, which is something it could have done. Like they could have done that with it if they'd wanted to, but it did feel very much like a personal kind of plea for like, don't think we're bad people. I feel like what you've said about this one, it reminds me of how you felt about the Caroline Flack documentary. And it's that thing of you can't, you can't put thoughts and ideas into the head of someone who's no longer here because mm. we just don't know. You can be as close to them as you like. You still don't know what they would think or feel about something now if they're not here to tell you. Yeah, I, I, I feel tremendously sorry for all of them. And, you know, I did before. Maybe I feel a bit more sorry for them after watching it. They're obviously really, you know, it's obviously a terrible, terrible thing that's happened to them. But I didn't understand why they made the documentary that they made about it thanks jen you're welcome <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry I, have... I nodded which isn't helpful for hannah i'm sorry but i also didn't have anything that could go on the podcast so i just nodded. 
I have one more, well, two more things to mention. Number one, if anyone did join Acorn TV in order to watch The Commitments, which I, I suggested did. last week, <laughs> yep. there's an absolutely fucking tremendous series on there called Rectify, which I banged on about a huge amount back when we were an online magazine. It's written by the actor slash writer Ray McKinnon, who, Mickey, you will know as the priest in Deadwood. Oh, yes. I've wanted to watch Rectify and it's been impossible to find. So this is yeah, very it has exciting been impossible news to me. Find. It's very good. And it's about a man played by the Australian actor, Aidan Young. I mean, it is a Southern Gothic. It's set in the South of America, just to be clear, about a man who has spent 20 years on death row and is released after his sister conducts a really long campaign to get him out. They believe that he is innocent he is actually released on a technicality as opposed to released because he is proven to be innocent. And it's about his reintegration into society after coming off death row and how he fits back in, how his arrival back from prison affects his family, which includes a half brother and a stepbrother who weren't part of the family when he first went to prison, uh, his sister who has basically got him out of prison and now is struggling to let him go and wants to protect him and his mother who is played by the excellent jay smith cameron who we will know as jerry from succession Mm -hmm. it's slow really really painfully slow i think the first series takes place over the space of a week i think the whole four series actually take take place over the space of about three months but it's really really good and a couple of really tremendous performance in there uh aiden young is absolutely spectacular as the lead character and Clay Crawford is really brilliant as his stepbrother who they've never met before and now they are part of the same family. And what I think I really love most about it is much like The Leftovers, it doesn't actually ever bother to try and seek to solve its central mystery. Of whether, whether he's or guilty. Not, whether or not he's guilty is not relevant to this storyline, particularly it's not what it's about. It's about how people react to people when they think that they might be guilty or when they think that they might not be guilty and they're hard done by it's a really great watch awesome last things to say Britbox. as you know i got a free month and then i forgot to cancel it which is how they work <laughs> so I was like, i've got to watch something because i've now paid another five pounds 99 uh, so i have to watch something so i watched something that's new on there i think this month it was new on there actually made in 2019 an Australian series called Lambs of God and it's fucking deranged I loved it <laughs> like genuinely mad it's based on a novel by Maril Day and it's set I don't know genuinely I think maybe in Australia it's really difficult to tell there's a wide variety of of uh, nationalities of people in it the accents are really weird Sometimes it feels like it's set in England. Sometimes I think it might be Australia. This all adds to the kind of weirdness of it. And it's about a priest who is sent to assess the site of an old monastery on an island off the coast of Tasmania. It is in the book, but it's never implicitly said in the in the television programme where it is. And discovers that it's not uninhabited and that there are, in fact, three nuns living at what they believed was an abandoned monastery who have 
well, gone feral would be the only way to describe it. <laughs> I love it. a feral nun. <laughs> yeah, they just just three nuns living with a flock of sheep who they believe to be the reincarnations of their dead sisters. Uh, those nuns are played by Essie Davis, the Australian actress, who I actually have never seen in anything else. Jessica Barden, who is the British actress who was in The End of the Fucking World. And Anne fucking Dowd. Oh, hello. As a feral nun. Come on. Sam Reed plays the priest who turns up and then they realise that the church is actually a threat to them. It's um, And Damon Harriman, also, also worth mentioning because he's in it because I love him. He is great. It is absolutely fucking mad. Four parts. It's really tense. It's really gothic. It kind of has a touch of Black Narcissus in the sense that it's what happens when you bring a man into an environment that's been only female it inspires a lot of things in them be that fear be that sexual desire a lot of stuff coming that's been pushed down now bubbles up as they decide that the only way that they're going to save themselves and i don't think this is really a spoiler is if they hold him prisoner and don't let him go and yeah it is fucking wild i mean weird and wonderful i would watch it if you get the chance it is on Britbox. anyway Lambs thanks for wrapping up hannah i've just got to go and watch lambs of god about <laughs> feral nuns honest to god yeah oh, well, honest to god quite literally and it's interesting because i saw a couple of reviews of it and they basically just knit that's what they do when they're not praying and just doing other weird shit they knit and they tell each other stories while they're knitting. We've and got a lot of sheep. It's a lot of wool. A lot of reviews that I've read of it have said that they tell incorrect fairy tales, which they do. Like <laughs> this is this is a is that your criticism of it, people? Come on now. The point is, the minute you watch it, the minute they start telling Red Riding Hood, and then the ending doesn't end how you think it's going to end, right? You know. That that fairy tale is something else, and I have not. I've yet to see a single man reviewer because I, I I was then on a mission to find one who was spotted that those fairy tales are about something else, not about them not knowing what the real ending to this fairy tale was. Mm. So yeah, always good point to add. More female reviewers, please. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Jen, you've got to go and uh, a man's coming around your house to take photos of you. Uh, so it's just leave it down. down. Finish a fairy tale properly. <laughs> <laughs> He's never leaving. Outside the box.